And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now, I like to think that all of you listening gain something from the times that we bring folks on here and we talk about the big things that we've done and the great things or the money we've made. But sometimes those stories have another side to them. And it's the backside of the meteoric rise. It's the crash. It's the fail. It's the things that we've done and how we've killed a brand or how we've killed a business or how we've learned tough lessons. And that's what I'm going to talk about with our guest today. Now, if you don't want to learn a hard lesson about how to find software developers, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a team, a software development team quickly and easily and take a lot of the pain out of it. With me today, my guest is named Eric Kleiss. And Eric is currently an Upwork success coach and also the CEO and founder of Freelance Living. You can go to freelanceliving.com. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But what Eric and I are actually going to do is we are going to, in parallel, share a few of our own somewhat painful memories about meteoric rises and meteoric crashes. Before we get into all of that, let's just go ahead and say, Eric, welcome to Startup Hustle. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you might be our first guest from Idaho as well. I'm not sure that that uh, that we've we've been we've had a representative from Idaho before. Now, you know, as I mentioned, we're gonna we're gonna share some of our more vulnerable and interesting stories of the past. Uh, mine has to do with um, bringing several websites up to. Uh, number one, only to watch them disappear completely. And I believe you can go ahead and begin to tell us about the backstory about some of the stuff that uh, that you don't mind sharing with us. Yeah, so I'm an open book on this one. I'm actually excited to talk about it. It's weird to have so much growth in my life where it's actually cool to be able to talk about those failures and get them out there and see how much we've learned from them and get to pass, pass those lessons on too. So, you know, I had this huge, huge website, uh, started out from zero, very startup budget, little budget. We grew it to, um, you know, it was $750,000 per month, I think, in gross gross sales was our record month, November, an e-commerce business in the jewelry niche. Uh, and, and But within a 12-month period, we were crashed back down to, maybe, maybe it was 18 months at the most, but we crashed back down to zero. Right. So it was like <laughs> talk about a rush, a peak, and then just a total, total uh, 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 failure. Right. We, we killed it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> 
Well, and, and, you know, like I said, we'll kind of tell this in parallel for myself. And I wrote about this in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. And, you know, 2009, I started a business in the extra bedroom of my home. And I lived in Indianapolis in the time. And, you know, we were at, at the time, the internet was really the Wild West. And this is right around the same time frame that you were doing your stuff, too. So, you know, your ability to, to well, the internet really was the Wild West. At the time, we felt like it had it had become so refined. But I was I was in the event ticketing business at the time and we had launched a whole lot of different websites. And for us, we had built a website that acted as a marketplace for buyers and sellers of tickets. We used some third party plugin technology, but we got into the business of SEO and um, and began to, you know, much like you over a, a 12 to 18 month period saw peaks and valleys. So. Mm -hmm. Um, now, you know, like, as I mentioned, we're going to, we'll tell this story in parallel. So we were selling, we were, we were basically an advanced affiliate site on many levels, but we had found ourselves through various SEO tactics that are often referred to as black hat. Now, mm -hmm. um, we saw ourselves rise to the top of search rankings for a lot of different things. What, and now, now you're, you're very upfront about the fact that what you were doing was a little gray yourself. So what, what business were you in? Yeah, I shied away on that first question. So let me, I thank you for bringing it up. You know, <laughs> we were doing replica watches, right? So Rolex replica watches, and I'm past that 10 year mark of like, you know, possible, uh, whatever it's called. Yeah, I, term, <laughs> right? so I can talk about it now. It's 2008. I just went to archive.org to look at the website. And similar, similar thing. We were doing black hat stuff. Like we had a, uh, a SEO company out of Sweden, actually, that was going to do pay for results and stuff, which, you know, obviously whatever they're going to do is just like, let me close my eyes, do what you're going to do. You know, so we got to that page one replica watches. Um, and uh, we also had this killer affiliate program running out of Europe too, right? So my, my strategy then was, like you said, it was the wild west of the internet. There are so many things that are working. There was also so many new things. So I was basically manipulating the new technology or going to the new pay-per-click search engines. You know, there was like web uh, search engine search and all these little teeny things that I could extract this traffic from. And we just tried everything. Our marketing strategy was just to put everything out there, try everything, and then keep investing in what worked, right? So our SEO strategy worked. We got to page one replica watches, which was, you know, uh, crazy amounts of traffic more than expected because i think google kind of filtered the results they didn't really show the true results because it's it was i don't know if it was back then but i was based off of the advertising they didn't allow advertising for those keywords so it was really like you know you'd look at the you know in the back end of keyword explorer back then and it would show a few searches you know fifty thousand or something but we were getting so much crazy traffic from that uh, and then the affiliate program took off too, where that was pretty much our number one, <laughs> even bigger than the search results was we had this affiliate program where we're doing 17% commission through a network. And it was just insane. The amount of growth that we had from that. Yeah. For us, it started with experimenting with blogging and, um, here I am in my home and, you know, next thing, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife was working from the couch and, and different stuff. And, you know, it really started out quite honestly with the best intentions. And, you know, I, I think until you've, until you've really been smacked in the mouth with, uh, with a failure, you, you, you proceed forward with the feeling of being bulletproof. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm sure you had that same feeling at some point. 
And, you know, for us, you know, the blogging worked and then we started realizing that certain things were working better. Uh, We got into SEO and there was one specific thing I remember. There was there was a service called Paul and Angela links. And Paul and Angela would uh, do you're nodding your head. You probably remember them. So Paul Paul and Angela would have a new list of uh, places where you could create a profile link. And I'll give you just one that always sticks out as I remember the Carrie Underwood fan club for some reason. Um, And, you know, you could go in and you could set up a profile and then you could write in a couple things. So I might put Matt DeCourcy from Indianapolis. And then there was always a little spot for bio and you could build a few, you could build a few links in there. And the one that was the most interesting for us was, you know, I remember Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber tickets. So, you know, we went through and, you know, we would get this list every month and it would be, you know, 50 new domains where we could do this. Now, uh, for those of you that are unaware, a search engine partially recognizes your your website status by the text links that are pointing to it. And that's because Google was founded by research scientists. So th- they looked at those like footnotes. And that's how a search engine begins to, it's it street cred is, is what it is. So we began doing this, but to say that we got carried away with it is probably an understatement because it wasn't just Justin Bieber tickets or anything else. I mean, we were doing it with anything and everything. And then on top of the blogging, we were just creating duplicate content over and over and over and over. Now here's the thing, it worked. It worked. We were number one for the term Justin Bieber tickets for months and it drove huge traffic. We were number one for a hell of a lot of terms, but yeah. So, you know, with what you guys were doing, where, where was it, was it similar? Were you doing it yourself or you, or was it all a third party company that was doing it for you? On the SEO front, we definitely had a third party company doing most of it for us. I remember we did follow this guy. I don't even know if he's still around. I never looked him up forever. His name was Howie Schwartz. And he was like this black hat mastermind sort of guy. And I got, you know, he had the best marketing ever. His back end packages were whatever at the time. I learned from them for sure. Uh, well, I don't know if he actually implemented both of the things he was talking about. But I remember back then, I do remember the Paul and Angels links just seeing so I was familiar with the industry. And I also remember we were doing exact match domains, which I still think they honestly work to this day somewhat. I know they've been discredited a lot in the industry, but I still see some success with exact match domains. So we would like really manipulate that on our end of the strategy. I mean, our website was exactreplicas.com back then. So anybody searching like exact replica watches, things like that. And then we would just register out a bunch of other domains to hit on those different exact match domains. And it was kind of that that new era of uh, all these different content, I don't know the right term right now, the content-based sites, right? Where it's like you can post sites on, like today you'd have, you know, you can use LinkedIn or you can all these different platforms so you can leverage that authority. So this was kind of the new age of that. And so that's what that guy I follow would go into and developing these little sites and then link all those leads to your main like exact match domain sites. And we did really, really well at that. And those exact match domains were just affiliates of our own master site that we then linked to. You know, so that that's what we handled on our SEO end. But then to get to the exact like number one spot on replica watches with which was a very competitive keyword, we did have a firm that helped us with that. And I I did look at the back end kind of see what they did and they 
did a mix of what I was talking about, probably the exact types of things you were doing, and then they had some high authority stuff. You know, some I'm sure they were you know paid paid blog posts or something. We were on some really big blogs. I'm like, oh my god, they even get we're like this is an illegal business. You know, how did they even get us on this freaking blog post? I don't want to know. But whatever, we're there. It's working. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, and to to give for those listening to give you a con- some context, so you know, tw- 12, 13 years ago, the search engine algorithms they just weren't as sophisticated as they are now, and they they were trying to find you know the 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 purpose of a search engine is to put the user in front of the best site or the best results based on whatever it is they type in on the criteria. So search engines for the longest time, when you say an exact match domain, like I use the keyword, say Justin Bieber tickets, which was the one that I wrote about in in Million Dollar Bedroom. But if you had a website that was was justinbiebertickets.com, that invariably would have come up first for years. And um, then, you know, that Google kind of got away from that. And, and, you know, there was a lot of different things. It was the, it was a, whatever was at the, in front of com and, at, and the trailing slug behind it was always highly regarded. And that was the thing that we had figured out as well. And, you know, like for, for us, we created such a, uh, a weird cloud of like greed and stupidity that you know like i mean because once we saw we saw something working we we turned the dial up to 11. um and you know now that said i mean there's a there's a debate was that smart or was it greedy because it worked for a really long time and you know like we now we weren't we were a little different we were like i don't know if selling replica watches you mentioned that there's possible a legality to that or whatever there wasn't necessary that wasn't necessarily the case with what we were doing but the tactics and the approach was definitely not above board and you know i i i mentioned if you want to read all about the story i i wrote all about it in in my book million dollar bedroom which which honestly i was really torn as to whether to write about at the time because i was like fuck do i really want to document this and then i just realized it didn't really care because honestly there were so many people doing stuff like that at the time it wasn't a matter of were we do were we the only people doing it we were one of many, 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 many people. Now, where things, you know, we, you know, I mentioned turning it up to 11. At one point, we, we reprogram, we basically customized WordPress to, you know, in WordPress, it, when you write a blog, you can put a tag in. Well, we, we recustomized WordPress to the point that every time we put a tag in, it created a duplicate page of the article with a different URL. So like I used that term, Justin Bieber tickets at the time, we might've said Justin Bieber tickets, Indianapolis or Justin Bieber, Indianapolis tickets. And like all these different variants and different sequences to the point where our blog articles, we would have like maybe 20 to 25 different iterations, but it would be the same page, which once again, seemed genius at the time we were like, Oh my God, how are we this much fucking smarter than the internet? Um, as we'll, uh, as we'll get into that, that feeling of genius quickly faded. So, so as you, at, for, with the, with the watch hustle, 
Um, were you having to fulfill the orders and everything else, or were you just driving business to someone else that was doing that? Yeah, so I'll answer that one sec. I just, what you said, I really, really touched me about you sharing that story in your book, right? It was called Million Dollar Bedroom. Correct. Yeah, that's fantastic. You decided to share it. So I'm kind of, that's what I'm doing here. I've talked about this story a little bit in some of my blog posts. I haven't dived into it fully. And it's really important for startup hustlers to learn from things like this. When, you know, my mine was a, that gray area market. Yours was, you know, not. But at the same time, you were looking for that accelerated growth. And you knew that this could be, you know, you could launch these new domains. So it didn't really matter if you trashed a domain name or if it got, you know, banned from Google or penalized because you could just launch another one and follow this same system. So as startup hustlers, we're always looking for those hacks, those things that we can grow our business faster. And obviously with the internet, no matter, it's, you know, it's harder, it's more advanced today, but there's going to be those things out there. So when you, when, when I think that's why sharing this story, our stories is gonna be so impactful because you know, as a startup hustler, you can see like, yes, there's going to be shortcuts to success, but those shortcuts to success are not necessarily where you want to go unless you are in it for the short term, right? If you're in it for those fast affiliate profit profits on a crash and burn domain, then whatever, take the risk. But if you're in it and you're building a brand that you want to be proud of, that you want to last, like those little shortcuts that seem like they could be a good idea, not that risky, they can become addictive over time. And then pretty soon you do crash and burn your brand that you're trying to invest like yours. Like I'm the same way. And Anybody who considers themselves a hustler will probably say, like, if they find something that works, they're going to keep doing that something that works, right? Like, do it to 11, I think you said. Like, so it is a really huge lesson, I think, that, that we're talking about today because, you know, no matter what, even if you're building a brand that you're proud of, it's hard for us to not want to accelerate that growth. And, and we, we need to be thinking about the long term instead of just the short term. So these lessons can kind of keep us focused on, you know, a stable growth pattern that can actually get us to the destination that we're looking for. Um, and then with that with the question you asked though, you know, and I'm sorry, I got a little bit distracted. I just, I had that thought. I just had to get out there when you, when you were talking about, we're talking about your book, you know, we had, I was literally, I like pioneered this replica watery. I was the first, I was in it since I was 13 years old was my first website. I launched, I was paying my dad to ship orders at that time. I was flying to New York at about 17, 16 to buy replica watches from canal street and bring them back to California to ship them. I was the first person to pioneer like a bulletproof, you know, feature list for these watches and every website copied it. You know, I think I was the first person to drop ship direct from China, which is getting to your, your question. You know, for a while I would have import the stuff basically from China. This is before drop shipping was huge. It was known. It was a term that was known, you know, but nobody was doing it in this industry. And so we had these, you know, big, huge, you know, those, uh, my buddy grew, <laughs> another, I guess it was sort of illegal. He grew plants inside, he grew marijuana inside. So we had this huge grow tree, grow trays. And we just had them lined with replica watches in his garage, you know, hundreds of them, if not a thousand or more. And we got to the point where we're like, you know, this is too big of a risk. Our business is too big. If all of our assets get seized. So then we started to ship direct from China and just had our suppliers ship direct from China to our customers with slowed down shipping. But. You know, we kind of pioneered that. And now, I mean, if you order replica watches today, it's like, you know, every single thing is shipped from China. So I don't know if we were the first, but I like to think we were because I came up with the idea before I saw someone else do it, but it <laughs> could have been somebody else. Yeah, with us, you know, we were using our site. Now, here's the thing is you talk about having like a throwaway domain or something like that. We certainly did not have that level of foresight. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. 
you know, to give you to give you a little bit of, of context. So, you know, with us, we didn't fulfill the orders. We were basically, like I said, uh, we had joined a partner network that the orders that came through, they were just directly routed to any ticket broker that was holding that uh, initial in inventory. And, you know, we had, we put them, there was a service fee on every transaction, just like any place else you buy tickets. And that was basically what we kept. Now, at first it was a few bucks here and there. And, you know, you talk about the stars or the dollar signs that get in your eyes. You know, we got to the point where, you know, this thing was making thousands of dollars a day and, and, and passive pretty much at that point. And, you know, I remember you talk about, you know, so here we are, we're, we're right around the halfway point of this episode. So we'll come to the, we'll, we'll arrive to the crescendo of, of profit yeah. where we're making thousands of dollars a day doing this. And I remember one specific uh, evening and I drove to the, to the grocery store, which was right around the corner from my house. And I remember just sitting, I remember sitting in my car and thinking and just like having that moment and i sat in my car for like 10 minutes in the parking lot just kind of just reminding myself that there was no way that what we were doing was going to last mm -hmm. and i just remember thinking that very specifically uh for whatever reason i had that moment and then it was a couple of days later uh my girlfriend and i who's now my wife we went on a vacation to saint thomas and it was it was while we were gone and here we are like the cash registers ringing the whole time and i'm sitting here thinking man i'm not even working i'm not even at the office i'm on vacation spending money i'm in the caribbean i'm fucking around on a beach and i'm getting paid to do this how amazing is this now we were gone for i think it was eight or nine days and i remember around the seventh day, all of a sudden I noticed we weren't making sales. And the sales were, were, were like all of a sudden sharply declining. And I was leaving for vacation, leaving from vacation, like right around that time. And I was like, man, that's really weird. What's going on. By the time I got back home, it had, it had, okay. Our web traffic looked like the Enron stock graph. And all of a sudden it was going, going, going. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Well, Google had, had rolled out the, their, uh, I can't remember if it was, it, they had all these different names. They had Panda and Penguin and these weird names for these algorithm rollouts that they had come out, but they had put a couple of them out. And one of them, one of them was aimed at, it was a penalty for duplicate content. Now, here's here's some context. I had over a million blog pages on this website, of which most of which were, if not duplicate, really close. So I had that going on, and then and and that was the I believe the first one, and the next one that came out was aimed at at the linking, at the linking scheme that we had been doing. And so it was not like just an uppercut from Mike Tyson. It was the one, two punch from him. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, the, the feeling that you want to talk about going from highs to lows, 
I really did feel sick. I felt like I had been punched in the gut, like all of it to go from making thousands of dollars a day profit for a while to nothing. Mm -hmm. And even though I saw it coming, like, I, I mean, I even like, like I mentioned, it's like, I almost prophesized it, you know, just sitting there thinking there's no way this is going to last because this is probably not scalable, sustainable, any of it. But all of a sudden I went, you know, from hero to zero when it came to that income. And I just remember the gut feeling. And I, and I, I was like, oh, well, I figured this out the first time. I should be able to figure out how to fix this. How, how did, so you had this, you had a similar rise at any point, you know, you met, you kind of just alluded to the fact that you might've had that same feeling. You're like, shit, we might need to do this a different way because you say seize assets. That's a, that's a similar thing, but how did, how did you see that? Did you see the, the downside, the downs, the downside coming or, you know, like, or feel that it might. Yeah. I felt the coming. I felt like we were always defending against it. Oh, shoot. I think two stories come to mind. The first was very similar to yours with our SEO rankings. You know, that was probably the killer thing that really just like stuck the nail in the side of the business, right? And it started seeing everything start to leak out when we lost. We got you know penalized by Google, whatever the terminology is for that. But we lost our number one ranking for replica watches. So that was a big, huge drop of our traffic and not just like lost it moved back to paper page three like was nowhere in the top 100 results we were just taken out of the index entirely most likely i think we were in there somewhere it wasn't totally banned but it was not showing up on results our traffic from organic search went from you know thousands tens of thousands to you know hundreds very very minimal and that's probably just you know browser cache right <laughs> or something i don't know yeah but yeah sure it, that started it that started it. And that was basically, then we tried to limp along for a little bit, but did this stress level, you know, we did email promotions. We had a 50,000 plus email list. We tried to boost up our affiliate program and we were still doing decent enough profits, but basically we saw the chart just going down like the Enron chart. It wasn't as kind of a, as big of a graph. It was kind of like this, but still going down. And what that did to us though, is we saw the end coming and you know, it fucked up our relationship, right? I was in business with my best friend and this was like the next pivotal thing. I was in business with my best friend since middle school. We haven't talked since this entire project, this entire business. You know, he was literally my best friend. I still, I've tried to reach out, uh, have not been successful at that. But basically there was a huge fight. He came over to my house. We had division in the company, you know, already of like, you know, there's me and this other guy that I worked with him and this other guy. And we were kind of adversaries a little bit. So the company was divided. Uh, especially when it got stressful, we didn't know how to communicate with each other. You know, and he came over to my house one day and it got into a heated debate where there was literally, you know, I, I fucked up, I pushed him, he fell, I didn't mean to actually hurt him, you know, but there was like a ledge on this apartment, his head fell back and hit this like sheet metal ledge and like there's like blood coming out of his head. And I'm not an aggressive person, it's been like one of the only times anything like that's ever happened. You know, literally from a punch, it was bad luck that that happened, but like that was a pivotal moment for us where everything was just crashing from there in terms of our relationship, our business, you know, and it was accumulation of the stress that we created and being in this environment of, you know, relying on something for your everyday income when you don't know if that something is going to be there for you tomorrow or not. Kind of that, like you said, you had, it's like, 
waking up like Shh, this is too good to be true when is it all going to be ripped apart for me and we both learned it, it does get <laughs> ripped apart at some point you know so that that was the key thing that, that was like the, where it was all going downhill fast after that after that point yeah you know for for us we had that wasn't the only thing we did like that wasn't the only that was just one you know part of our business that honestly was kind of felt more like a complimentary piece to everything else we were doing. But I mean, it was, it was, I mean, the revenue and the money coming in was definitely significant. And, you know, I think that, you know, the, the thing that I, that I learned and, and I, this is part of the reason why in this day and age that I like founders that have scars, you know, I want, if I'm going to, you know, we've invested over a million dollars in the last year and a half in regional startups, you know, in our, in our neck of the woods. And I want to know that you failed. And the reason is, is because I remember how bulletproof I felt until I'd really had a few fails. And um, I think that that's important, you know, when it comes to finding partners or people that you're investing in or whatever, because the main thing is, is I don't want you experiencing your first colossal fail with my money, you know, cause like I said, it's, it's, you know, you can be kind of young and dumb and, and, you know, now the thing is, and, you know, we're talking about how to kill a brand. I mean, I did this on the brand that I was attempting to build locally. So I was in, I'm in Kansas city now, but I had lived in Indianapolis and, you know, that site, I don't even own that domain anymore. Like I don't even care about it because you know we ruined it but it was it was broad ripple tickets and broad ripples a very well-known area in indianapolis and you know we had we had built a, a at that point even in a very short amount of time had begun to build a little bit of a brand around that now all of a sudden the site that that you know was was recognizable and name and known around town what you couldn't find it in search. We were the same way. Um, and I remember all the things that I went through in the coming weeks trying to fix it, talking about deleting the duplicate content. Now we had done a really sloppy job of doing all that SEO. So we had realistically no idea how to go back and undo any of the links or fix any of that. And it became pretty apparent to myself after a couple of weeks of hoping and trying and doing anything we could to resurrect that brand and that name and that domain that that wasn't going to happen. So now for you, did now fortunately for us, we didn't have a whole lot of, meaning like we didn't, because we did other things, it didn't kill the overall business. But it definitely, it definitely put us in a spot where we had about a half a dozen people that were working for us that were like, okay, what do they do now? Mm -hmm. Did you, were you in a similar spot? Yeah, our team, uh, you know, I was very selfish and self-centered back then. So I probably thought about myself more than other people, but I had a big team. We had four people in the States, including myself. And then we had 30 to 50 freelancers overseas that all depended on us from customer service to sales, to marketing, to everything, you know, and yeah, everybody, everything fell apart. Our team scaled back. We lost employees, not in terms of them leaving, but we just couldn't afford it anymore. Uh, customers, you, you don't even want to read the reviews of some of the customers. Like you could look up the domain I mentioned and see some of like scam, scam. That was never our intent. You know, it was just like everything crumbled, you know, but I was more thinking about, 
uh, myself and I went into that defense mode and you can't really create when you're in defensive mode. So for me, you know, with that business, we were always pulling money out of the bank. You know, it's kind of that Michael Jordan shoebox type of money lifestyle, right? Because you never know what's going to happen if you're going to get sued, if everything's going to be seized on you. So I had, you know, liquid cash I mean, literally green, you know, $100 bills stacked away and gold coins and however I could get money out of the bank, we had it. So I had this reserve of funds. So I knew I had money to cover my expenses for a while, but that stream of income I was so used to living on. And it, it was pretty ridiculous how much money we were blowing through in terms of just, you know, uh, shitty lifestyle choices, I should say. You know, like my, my only stress, my self-care was gambling and drugs and, you know, alcohol and women. Like that was, that's what I considered self-care at the time, right? So like, <laughs> that's always how I mediated the stress from that business. And it was like that where I just didn't know, you know, that stream of revenue was entirely gone. It went from, you know, us pulling out 10 grand a, a week each in cash to basically having nothing besides savings and knowing that I'm going to have to start dipping into that and figuring out what's going to be next in my life. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't quite as devastating for us because, you know, we had other parts of our business that, and I, and I wrote about this in my book, you know, that we, we, were, we, had, we were in the business of buying and selling event tickets and we acted as a bridge or a medium between, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of venues and teams. They at the time, now they have relationships with the secondary ticket sites like StubHub and stuff like that. But that wasn't really the case at the time. So a lot of teams, venues, uh, places just in general, they would they basically used uh you know ticket resellers as a medium to and because they didn't really care like that you know like if you look at nba team x and i'm not going to name any of the people we did business with because they were all great i mean this was all legit and it was all and, and that was the thing now uh you know google and and you know this has been a, this has been a hot subject recently and i don't want to get political but um, you know, like, you know, with Parler getting basically yanked off of the internet, um, you know, and, and people are angry about that. But you have to remember that private companies have the ability to create their own terms and services, uh, their term, you know, terms of service and stuff like that. And if you're not going to play by the rules that they have outlined, then you shouldn't expect to be in the game for too long. And, and we weren't, we weren't following the guidelines that Google set forth. Now, now here's the thing, this, this, this show and this episode, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what we learned from this, because mm -hmm. the one thing I definitely learned was that sacrificing the long term on the altar of the immediate is a really bad approach. And I'm actually glad that this fail happened in years two and three of my business, because that let me work the next decade without, I, I don't do shit like that anymore. Cause I, I respect the brand. I respect the hustle. I, I mean, I, you, you, most of the time, if you see me, you'll see me wearing a shirt that says respect the hustle. That's like one of my things. Cause you know, I do respect the hustle. I do respect all of it. And and I'm very, I'm very considerate and, uh, and basically wear kid gloves, as some would say, when it comes to handling stuff like that. Now, now for you, you're currently 
you know, it, working with freelance living and you're helping people understand how to be better contractors and stuff like that. How much of the lessons that you learned in the past are now a major part of your success going forward? Yeah, it's huge. That was the one thing I, I took when I was jotting notes for this. You know, the long-term one that you covered, thinking long-term is was pivotable, pi pivotable, pivotal for me as well. And um, another one though, was this, this stress high stress environment and we can you know i love that respect hustle thing that you mentioned because i have this success nutrition facts over here and it's like hustle focus discipline discipline failure all this stuff this big poster but living in the hustle does not mean you have to live in stress right so i had a constant 24 7 state of stress. I thought this stress was motivational and like i needed this I actually attuned it to energy and like drive and it's different though, right? Stress is different. It can be mislabeled as like energy and motivation and you can utilize it for that. But long-term you're going to crash and burn. If you don't have things to lower your stress level, there's positive stress, there's negative stress. If you're always in that stress cycle, you're going to crash and burn sometime and you're, you're, you know, your hustle is going to be uh, 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 impacted because of it in terms of your business. Um, you know, so that's a huge lesson that I took and it didn't take until I started to get into my most recent startup that, you know, the coaching thing, I'd say I'm a coach, but this is a business I'm building. I don't, you know, plan to do one-on-one -on -one coaching forever. I'm building a business again. So, you know, it's like, that's, that's, uh, we're, we're, that's what we're here to do. Right. We don't want to be, I want a company this time. Actually a business I define is something that relies on me. A company is something that I can walk away from for a year and it still grows without me. So that's what I'm working on here. And I realized in this start mode again, how I bring that stress back from my first failure. And I've been mitigating at this time to realize like, hey, I don't have to live in this all time stressed out panic mode. And that's kind of that short term hustle. But when you think about the long term, you know, you can miss or you can not make goals. You don't have to, you're going to have that stress. You just have to, you know, manage it a little bit. And by bringing in some self care things that, like I mentioned, aren't <laughs> drugs, alcohol, and these negative things in your life. I brought, I brought in meditation and different self playing with my dog, you know, building a relationship, just anything that can take you away from your hustle for a little bit actually makes it so you can step back into it and perform to your full performance, you know, and do that for the long term instead of, you know, instead of having this crash and burn thing where it's like you're hustling for two weeks straight and then you have to take a week vacation because you just can't stand the state that you're in anymore, you know, because you're stressed out. My that I described, but, you know, we would go through, um, you know, the, because the ticket business was, was either like you, you were going 150 miles an hour or you were sitting still waiting. And, you know, that was, it was funny because people would ask me a lot. They would be like, Hey, do you want to go to the casino? And I'd be like, no, man, I don't gamble. And they're like, what do you mean? You're a ticket broker. I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking ticket broker. I feel like I do that all day. Like imagine buying $50,000 worth of event tickets in a, in a, on a, in a morning. And here's the thing, like, you don't know, you don't know if they're going to, how fast they're going to sell, how much they're going to sell for, or even if they're going to sell. And mm -hmm. You know, I've had I've had people, you know, ask about the stress of that because, you know, you have things like you have things that seem like the the most surefire bet in the history of of business. And then it's an outdoor show and a fucking hurricane comes and hits the state, you know, and next thing you know, you're like, wow, they didn't cancel this event. 
Like I, I had that happen once. I remember like literally throwing $15,000 worth of Luke Bryan lawn tickets in the trash. Oh, and just because there was a hurricane that had hit the state of North Carolina, the state was in a, a it literally the governor had declared a state of emergency and they still didn't cancel this event. And those tickets say rain or shine. So I was positive that they were going to cancel it while people were selling, while my competitors were, were dumping their tickets for $5 a piece. And I was like, they're going to cancel this. Like there's a fucking state of emergency. Nope. Um, and that wasn't uncommon. And you know, that's, that's, uh, the, the crazy thing is after eight years of doing that, and that's how long we were in that business that just became normal. Mm -hmm. And as I looked at that, I was like, God, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really, I ended up, we ended up walking away from that business at the end of 2016. I mean, largely because we, we felt that when I say we, cause my wife was a part of that business for years and some of my employees that still work with me now, um, we felt that there were, there were bigger and better things that we were prepared to do in life and things that, that quite honestly felt a little more fulfilling yeah. than that. Um, and I mean, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago at this point. So, yeah. And, you know, we've, we've moved on, we've progressed. We, uh, we are, you know, you talk about outsource and people, you know, offshore help. We turned, I mean, that turned into full scale on some levels. And that's, you know, we, and we, that whole story did start with us with virtual assistants. And you mentioned Upwork. We were, we, it was called Odesk at the time. Uh, that's, that's how old I am. I was using I Upwork before it was even okay. called. Yeah, it was Odesk. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Odesk was amazing. I loved Odesk. You know, I was a resistant Upwork at first because Odesk and Elance were like, they were the jam. Odesk, especially for finding very well-priced talent on there from everywhere. Yeah. And that was, uh, you, they, they were figuring it out too. Cause I remember we had, uh, the very first people we hired on that, we hired uh, six people and the only person that actually made it and uh, was the person from Cebu City, which is where our office at Full Scale is now and where we have 180 full-time employees. So, yeah, I mean, if you, you can, if you can find ways to kind of patch it together, I mean, every remnant of the, the remnants of the very first business that we started in the extra bedroom of my home, uh, they, they still all have connections. In fact, one of the very, very first people we hired, um, Miss Tess, let's give her a shout out. She just retired. She worked for us for 10 years and did well enough to retire. She's my age, man. So she's doing something, she's doing something better than I am, but yeah. So, well, Eric, you know, this is a, I know we whizzed right through some of this and talking through this, you know, I end my episodes of the show with what we call the founders freestyle. And I say my episodes, I'm not the only host of startup hustle. Make sure you check out episodes that are created by Andrew and Lauren. I talk a lot about e-commerce, women in technology, a lot of different stuff. And if you're feeling squirrely get out there on the internet and go over to our youtube channel and check out what we're playing with startup hustle tv it's our new web series we're telling the real story of entrepreneurship it's gonna be awesome um you want it you want transparency much like this episode 
Well, that's where you're going to find it because we are not doing all of that to only give you the fluff and bubbles of entrepreneurship. So, you know, Eric, it, 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 as we wrap this up, I mean, what, what are some of the, how would you sum up all the, all of the stuff that you learned and all of the, you know, the, the past, present and future, how does that all wrap together into, into one, one slick freestyle for us? Yeah, I love, I love what you said about the utilizing the remnants of your life. You know, mine is similar, just finding your passion and not being scared of your failures and setbacks, right? So sometimes we can have resistance to those failures and we can shelf them if we're not really to co cope with that pain in our life yet and kind of put them in a box and set them to the side and then move on with our life. But what we're doing is we're not fully learning from those experiences. And we have this thing that maybe we have some regret or we haven't fully worked through the conflict. But when you step into that and step into those failures and you own those things and you start to pick up those remnants and bring them into your everyday experience, your everyday life, that's when you can live those lessons, you know, and then you can see how much value you got from those setbacks, from those failures, and you can grow from them instead of, and then you're going to be not as likely to repeat those same, you know, setbacks and failures in the future. So like a quick example, is, you know, every day we're out there, we're relying on, you know, third party sites, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all these other sites, more and more for our business. So we can have those little daggers like we talked about, of you know, stuff coming down and crumbling down on us. I just got banned from Facebook for like 12 hours for doing this group marketing stuff. And like my team is freaking out when I woke up. And for me, like, it was a really funny feeling because I just made this video like, calm down, guys. It's all right. Like after going from page one of Google, you know, and being gone to come to Facebook and it's, you can't log into your account for 12 hours. It's like no big deal. This stuff happens in business. So being able to step into those experiences and just know how much that you've learned from them and incorporating them into what you're doing in your current business is just pivotal, you know, and that, that when you're doing that and you're centering your business around your passion would be the next thing. You know, it sounded like for your ticket business, it led to your passion, right? It wasn't your passion. It was too, you know, up and down, too crash and burn. You weren't totally happy with your life because of it. Same with me. What I was doing was it, my life was a disaster. The only thing I had was financial success, you know, but how that has led to my passion now and, and all the skills I learned, you know, from hiring freelancers. Now, what, what do you think made me such a good freelancer? I hired hundreds of them, right? So when I wanted to become a freelancer, it was so easy. So now in my coaching business, right, so I'm, I'm basically able to look at it from the client mindset and from the freelancer mindset. So I have this very unique angle and I wouldn't have had that unique angle if it wasn't for my failures and, and all the success I had early on, even though, you know, it, it happened, I was not too, you know, when you go from making that much money to nothing, you feel like pretty, pretty shitty about your life at that time, right? You're like, fuck, how did this happen? How did I let this happen? But now it's all coming back together and you realize it all had this greater purpose. And it's honestly like, I wouldn't take it back. You know, I, I don't know how else I could have got that experience except by going through it. I probably would have, you know, learned from it a little bit faster and it not taken me 10 years to get out there and talk about it, you know, but 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 I, it provided so much value for my long-term growth that I can't imagine myself, you know, getting to a situation where I can't handle it because of that, you know, cycle and that stress and that, those failures that I went through way back when. Yeah, and I think that's well said because, you know, I, I think I feel the same way. And 
uh, you know, when it comes to failure, I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about it and they're afraid to admit it. And I think the thing that's important, you know, the, the number one feedback I've gotten from listeners on Startup Hustle over the last three years is that they're, they like that we're not afraid to talk about failure. And at first, I honestly thought that was just because people liked the train wreck. And, you know, because we're kind of like that as people. I mean, that's why people slow down to see the accident on the highway. And then I started asking, you know, for a little more info. And I was, you know, overwhelmingly and almost unanimously told, well, it was that hearing about failure from others made other people not feel like failures because it's a part of it. And I, and, I, and I agree with your sentiment. I wouldn't give it back um, because I learned so much from it. And had I not learned that, like it really, while that, while the loss of that income and that revenue, and it, you know, like I said, it was pretty significant and it gone on for a while. I mean, we definitely didn't want to go without it. Um, but I think that learning that lesson, when I look back at it now, compared to the stuff that I do, like that's small potatoes. Like that was, that was, that wasn't shit. Like right. what we do now matters. Like it's significant it's, but yeah. in its volume and its revenue and its impact that like I have, I've learned to be a lot more responsible and, and think about, well, I don't do wild shit like that anymore. Now I'm not afraid to put my toes up on the line either. You know, like I'm not afraid to try shit. I mean, I've just always had that kind of riverboat gambler uh, uh, you know, mentality as an entrepreneur, but you got to be careful where you, where you place your chips. That doesn't mean just throwing money all over the table and hoping something hits, you know? And, and I think that, that the main thing that I really learned from that is just that good old, you better have a few bucks in the bank for a rainy day. Mm -hmm. And because then something, something real happens like a global pandemic. And then you really get to deal with it. And I mean, overall, like, you know, if you talk to my business partner, Matt Watson, you know, like he'll, he'll say like, you know, the best businesses, they grow and they grow steady. It's not, it's not always like, yeah, you get some that have this meteoric rise, but you can go out of business or you can grow out of business. It's not just because you see a, a, a business moving forward, then it looks like it's on this rocket ship or the hockey stick that everyone talks about. That's a whole, that's a whole nother can of worms. It's a whole, it's a whole bunch of different bullshit that you have to deal with. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for sharing your, your story and your input. Uh, folks, go to freelanceliving.com. I know a lot of you are looking for the side hustle and, and how to do things and learn how to do stuff. There's people out there like Eric that have been doing it for a long time, and they'll show you how. They'll show you how. So, Eric, thanks a lot, buddy. I'll catch up with you next time. Thank you for having me here and just giving me this opportunity to share this story out there with the world. I appreciate it so much, Matt. I love what you do here and just uh, keep doing your thing, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. And once again, thanks for the honesty, dude. See you next yeah. time. Okay, bye. <laughs>
like we do it.